how have things been going in the comedy world? Thing? Comedy world's you... been quite good. Um, I try and do one gig a week. One um, a week. Yeah, one a week. And I went to Edinburgh for four days um, yeah. in August, which was amazing. I've never been before, um, and I've decided I'm definitely going to take a show. Oh, really? But yeah, I probably want to share a room with someone. I don't think I've, I can do an hour just yet, but I want to share okay. a room with someone. I'm just looking for the right person to kind of mm-hmm. compliment me. I should have gone this year, but I just didn't get my arse in gear, so I've, I know I've got to get everything ready mm. by January. Um, I've kind of already started working on the show. I might just say sod it and just do the, do an hour, you know, yeah. um, and do it on my own. But it's really scary, and I can't go for the whole month because of work. And yeah, it costs so a lot of money. Yeah, too. it does. It does. I mean, obviously, I'll go on the free fringe and what have you, but it's still yeah. going to cost money. So if I can get someone that I can share the room with, you know, that would be great. Um, and I'm thinking of getting someone very different to me, so either a female comic, yeah, um, or maybe kind of a straight white male. So you, I'm getting something. Uh-huh. I don't want another LGBT. Uh, comic, I think it will be just I, because then it, then it becomes an LGBT show, and I don't really want it to be about. Mm. I just want it to be comedy, and I happen to be black and happen to be gay. Um, I think that be that's that's more of what I'm heading for. There's something I definitely want to get onto. Yeah, in this conversation yeah. about about um, stereotypes and all that sort of stuff, mm. and, and how these things become like hack after a time, and it doesn't help you in some ways because. Uh, anyway, we'll get on to that. Let's, yeah. um, let's uh, kickstart this anyway. Okay. Um, hello and welcome to the Comedian's Outlook. I'm Luke Anthony and today I'm joined by fellow comedian Rod Richardson. He's been in the game for a little while and he's, um, he's now headlining shows all over all over London and hoping to take up an Edinburgh show next year. Um, so, welcome to the show, Rod. Hi, hi. Welcome, welcome you to having me here. Thank you very much. Well, you're welcome to me. So I am. That's right. Yeah. I need to take that back. Sorry. Um, <laughs> thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, is this your first podcast? It is. Oh, I'm taking your virginity. I love doing little podcasts. <laughs> um, I think that went a long time ago, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, w- when did you first um, like get into comedy? Well, actually, my comedy journey started many years ago. I was um, on a cruise ship probably about seven or eight years ago. And I used to, at dinner parties, tell jokes, little riffs of jokes, which were repurposed jokes from other comedians. Um, interestingly enough, my, um, my comedy hero at the time was Mike Reed. And most people are horrified by that because they thought he was homophobic, racist and sexist. Um, but he also made fun of himself. I thought he was, I thought he was hilarious. And I used to repurpose some of his jokes and... So I was, on a, I was on a cruise ship, they had an open mic night, and my best friend said, you need to go up there. And I just literally put my drink down and ran up onto stage, and that was the first time I'd done comedy. Um, I got clapped completely, I was, yeah, it was great. And then I didn't really do anything with it after that. And then about, yeah, about two years ago, I was walking down High Street near where I live, and there's a comedy school there, and they were doing um, six-week courses, and I thought I'd give it a go. And the rest is history. I didn't really stop. I did my showcase. Um, yeah, February gone was a year, and I've been gigging ever since. So I've not, I've not stopped. Um, so that's really my history. I'm not, I've not been at it that long. Um, but I think what I found is it's a very, very welcoming community. And um, although there's always that little bit of rivalry and kind of who's doing what and stuff, <laughs> um, I, I like it as a community. I find it quite supportive. Yeah, I mean there is. Of course, there's a little bit of resentment when when it comes to you know getting gigs and, and things like that. Um, so, how soon did you start like gigging regularly after that? Straight after. So I can remember my I think my showcase was on the eighth of February, and a week later I had I did my first gig. 
Um, so, and as I've said, I hadn't stopped. I had a month off at the end of last year, but I gig pretty much once a week, um, every week. Mm. Um, I had a period where I wasn't working at the end of last year. I took a sabbatical and I was doing sometimes two or three gigs because I wasn't working so I could do it. And I really loved that. Um, but that isn't sustainable with a day job. So, uh-huh. um, yeah. And yeah, so I, as I said, try and do one a week to keep my juices going. Um, two would be nice, but I think it's just trying to fit it in with, uh, with the day job and managing the diary and all of that just gets and, and a husband and a, yes and a house and a job that's quite demanding as well so <laughs> yeah yeah hopefully hopefully with with time you might be able to you know make this more and more kind of autonomous and 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 pay off a bit but. i would love to i would love to go part-time and do comedy part-time that's my dream scenario is to work part-time or maybe work from home part-time and then do comedy go you know leave london go out on the road and go to different venues but there just isn't time at the moment um on the open mic circuit, I think if I was semi-pro, that might be an option. But um, certainly, open micing in cities out of London at the moment isn't an option, really. Yeah, it's very tough. I mean, I mean, it's it's hard for someone who's outside of London getting into London every day. I mean, if if I can, I'd, I'd like to stay and do one like couple in a, in a row, so I don't have to do the driving. But you know, it's it's um, a different game out there. Like within London, such a diverse place. There's different like places in different parts of London where if you you know you're in one part of London is slightly right wing and you can't get away with certain things and you go to another one it's very cosmo and multicultured and, and you can get away with a lot more kind of risque stuff um, I find I've seen some comics who have seem to have this it's like almost a kamikaze I'm going to do my set and I don't care if you like it or not when actually you're there to make people laugh it's an art form um, so I, I, I kind of struggle to understand that. Um, or they might say, oh, I don't, I know no one likes that joke, but I always do it anyway. And I'm thinking, well, if you don't like it and you know people, well, you like it, but people don't think it's funny, then why do it? Cut it. Uh, cut yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, I've got some jokes that I absolutely love. I think are hilarious. And all my friends have said, well, it's not funny. So I've had to cut it, you know, sadly I've had to cut it, but if it doesn't make, if it only makes me laugh, then there, then there's no point in being in the set. So. Have you got any examples that, that you've tried that? Yeah, (laughs) I have. I have a joke around when I met um, one of my husband's family members for the first time. It's partly true and partly not. She wanted to know if I, um, she thought I didn't speak English because I was black. And she wanted to know if I ate um, ham, if I could eat ham, because she wasn't sure if I, you know, ate that kind of meat. (laughs) And anyway, in the end, she offered me a cheese quiche. And and the, the joke is, I think, quite funny. And a few people have said, yeah, that doesn't really doesn't really doesn't really fly. So yeah, I've had to cut it. Um, That's a shame. But 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 then again, you have to you have to stick by your art. I mean, I have had some laughs from it. Depend it depends on the crowd. Yeah, the, mean, the, the other thing I don't want to turn this into um, jokes with Mark Simmons. Um, we're a great podcast. Go and listen to it. Um, lovely guy. Uh, he talks about jokes and the construction and what and they talk about what doesn't work. But sometimes with like because you tell stories, so sometimes like you, you may have a different context that you come into it and you can lead into that that sort of content in a different way like I find that with with um, telling stories uh, is that you might have a concept that's really funny but you haven't got everything surrounding it or the build up to it yet that would feed into it and make it really funny so mm. um, keep it written somewhere and maybe like you know when you start getting creative with your you know your hour show you might 
find a way of feeding it in. Absolutely. And yeah, maybe it just needs to be fleshed out some more or something, but it's part of a of a, a four gag um set it always is I close with that set at the moment uh, for my set at the moment and I think it fits in with that but like I said I've listened to feedback and it's kind of you know oh, okay. I listen to feedback on my material for example up until a while ago I, I I made a joke about me too I had a me too joke because um I was manhandled in a bar recently and it was an older gentleman and I didn't really know what was happening but I didn't you know didn't it didn't matter. I did, it was fine. Um, but then a lady called me at the, to, to one side at the end of one of my gigs and said, oh, I didn't think that Me Too joke was, you know, people really were raped. And I, I took that on board. I recently watched a few documentaries on the whole Harvey Weinstein thing, which, of course, is where the Me Too started. And I realised that some of those women really suffered. So I, I've, I've removed that from my set. Um, although I didn't make reference to those women, I just used the tag Me Too. Um, so, yeah, and I felt that that was the right thing to do. Um, How strong was the joke? I don't think it was that strong, but okay. I think it was the fact that I'd used the, the hashtag Me Too to make light of the fact that I was manhandled by a guy in a bar, a guy in a bar which I was happy about because I'm of a certain age and I was quite happy that he found me attractive and I was just basically trying to imply that um that there wasn't a problem with it so i think i was making light of the situation but i do like to be a bit edgy and i worry at times that you can't just becoming you know you can't say anything anymore and i'm yeah i can't i don't want to be frankie boyle but then i kind of don't want to go up on stage and do 20 minutes of puns that would just that would just kill me no offense to him that does puns but it wouldn't be what i'd want to do i i kind of want to tell my story make people put their hand to their mouth occasionally and be a little bit edgy. So it's just I, getting that balance right for me, I think. Do you know what? I think it's really important that you do do your risque stuff because if you don't, you give in to to like like the, the extreme sides of, of the view. So and in the same sense that, you know, you don't want to give too much parlance to the, the right and you don't want to give too much parlance to the far left because what happens, you get this, this kind of massive divide in, in social attitudes where then you just get this conflict. Really, you need to carry on doing those things because if you if you don't, then you're not having that conversation. The fact that you're mentioning these things and people are aware of Me Too and things like that, it, it's important. If yeah. you, it's better to be having the conversation than not having it. And so I, I, th- I think if you get a really strong joke around something that's that sensitive and the construction of it and you can back up every bit of that joke and you can prove that the joke isn't the me too thing the joke is that um i'm i'm you know a gay person can also be manhandled and but it's not always a bad thing to be manhandled you know yeah i mean i was actually quite flattered by the fact that he manhandled me and touched me up because i thought i'm 50 nearly i'm you know i you don't look a day (laughs) older 30 i'm telling you now thank you very much but I, that's not. Know. That's not. Um, I'm not vocalising my manhandling of you or anything like that with <laughs> over flattery. <laughs> yeah. um, and I just thought, God, I, I've still got it. That was yeah. It was more. It was more about that. I was like, I've still got it. Yeah. He touched me up, and I mean, he touched me up, and then walked away because somebody younger came in, which didn't make me happy. Um, but I think maybe using the Me Too hashtag was maybe not. Maybe I don't know. I just didn't yeah. feel it was the right thing to do anymore. Although you know, I find. Uh, with millennial audiences, I tend not to go down that well because of my edginess and because they maybe don't feel comfortable laughing about some of the stuff that I, that I you know, talk about. So, for example, I talk about the LGBT community and sometimes the ridiculousness of it, sometimes in terms of the labels and LGBTQ+, AI, you know, and all of this and, and kind of 
just why does everybody have to have a, a new label? Why is there a different term for sexu- except for sexuality? Do you like cock or don't you? And that's one of my jokes. <laughs> and they don't really get it. Really? They they sort of yeah they don't get me. I mean my 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 nightmare scenario is when I walk into a room and it's in one of those trendy areas like Shoreditch or oh, okay. and it's full of very woke With them, young the kind of, and all that yeah, sort of stuff. yeah they hipster. really don't they don't get me. Who really get me are the older generation um, or the slightly more edgy ed, you know people in society. So sort of kind of more working class kind of that they might not really get the fact that I'm gay but they'll think it's funny they'll think they'll understand what I'm saying um the Afro-Caribbean community some of the females don't get me I think they might feel that I'm being sexist because I'm gay and I'm not so it's kind of it's you know and I've done exactly I've got an example of this a couple of months ago did a 10 minute set one night and stormed it literally stormed it the next night nothing same set everything oh, yeah. and two it's just two completely different audiences one was in South East London one was in North London in Islington isn't just didn't get me because of the crowd so it's and I could have walked away from that feeling like oh, I'm not funny I'm awful but I know that I'm I know that I can make people laugh it was just the crowd on the night they were a tough crowd I wasn't the only one that had a tough night um, no that's right and it can be quite soul destroying sometimes when you're a comedian um particularly when you don't get the laughs that you really think that you that you that you might deserve um because it's either a very quiet room or um just the type of people that are in the room um but you have to keep going got to keep going got to keep going and that's what I do I just keep going I I remember the times when I've um completely stormed it and completely you know brought the house down and I just focus on those yeah so so when when you do go through a uh, you know a gig that you feel like that you you could have done better not not necessarily the audience could have done mm-hmm. better how do you pick yourself up from that how do you rebuild that confidence for the next gig yeah i always record my sets so i play them back i look at the delivery and you know there might be times when i am telling my story but maybe i've over elaborated maybe i've put a top on the end of the joke without realizing which is one of my bad habits so i need to i work on that um, and it can be again how I present myself when I go on stage as to whether they really like me. So within the first few minutes, they've really got to like me. Um, and I think that's one of the things I've noticed with with some of the audiences. I might go on stage, and if I'm feeling very confident, that can come across as maybe a little bit kind of arrogant, maybe. Um, and so I need to get is how I get them on side at a very early stage. Um, but yeah, I pick myself up, I, I play it back, and I think. Yeah, that doesn't work there. And I will very often move... I mean, I have an order of my set, of a five and a seven and a ten at the moment. And I'll move them around, maybe pull things out, pull some stuff in from um, the from, from before. And writing new material, I have new material fear. So I write new material all the time. Um, I'll test it. But I'm never... I'm never confident enough, really, to do a whole set of new material. I know, it's no. just, um, yeah. you can die really quickly. Yeah. Hey, you may think it's a little bit annoying that I'm um, interrupting this podcast. You're enjoying this conversation right now, I'm sure. But you know what's even more weird is that I'm interrupting myself because I'm interrupting my own podcast. So that's strange. Is there some kind of therapy that I could get for that? I don't know. But... Hey, I've got another podcast called Outlook on Life. I do this with two friends of mine, Chris Walters and Martin Shaw. Have a little listen to this little short clip from that podcast. But right after that, I'll be straight back in with a conversation that I'm having 
with Rod Richardson. Great conversation, by the way. I hope you're enjoying. How have you been getting on with uh, energy companies, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> There's just constantly more shit that pisses me off. Like, when I get my bills each month, I manually pay all the bills, so I call the water, I'm paying 50 quid a month, I call the gas, electric, I pay 80, 90, £100 a month between last month and December, so it was August time. So all between August and December, they estimated I would spend two thousand pounds on energy. Two thousand pounds. So they yeah. estimate they estimated I would spend two thousand pounds on energy. So would you agree that they've overcomplicated your energy bills? Yeah. And you want to change your energy supplier, but who can you trust? Who can you trust? Well, which you know which, don't you? Yeah. They asked their energy customers to rate their supplier. Okay. They rated their suppliers, the suppliers' practices and procedures against 36 different criteria, including prices, response time, and customer service. And after a thorough review, there's only one energy company which recommends. Do you know who that is? No. Octopus Energy. Right. And do you know what about Octopus Energy? Do you know what they say? You should go with Octopus Energy because energy shouldn't cost the earth. And we know what you're like, Chris. You like to run your, your um, washing machine every fucking day, don't yeah, you? Short cycles. Yeah. Short cycles. Right. Short cycles. Right. So <laughs> we just put shorts in the washing machine. <laughs> All right. So if you want to offset the balance and be good for the environment, you go with Octopus Energy and you can not cost the earth. Okay. You understand? And most homes could save by switching to Octopus Energy. And their energy is 100 100% renewable energy. 100% renewable. 100% renewable. I'm not lying to you, Chris. <laughs> have I ever lied to you, Chris? <laughs> I've never lied to you, have I? No, never right. lied to me. And I especially would not lie to you about Octopus Energy. <laughs> All right? So if you if you run over to Octopus Energy's website, you go over there and you just mention Outlook and say that you're referred by this Outlook on Life podcast, then you can save yourself money and you can also save the world. Does that sound good, Chris? That sounds amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. I'll give him a call tomorrow. As somebody, as a straight person, what is what is something that I will never understand about about homosexuality? I think it's really that you always, um, no matter how old you are, you always feel different. You know, you are, I, and I, that's something I've never never been able to to. Um, lose so if I get on to and this might be my own personal thing and I don't speak for anyone else but myself if I get onto a train I for example I will automatically feel that I I feel that I look different I feel that people are looking at me because I look different and I feel that people know that I'm gay so I think it's it's you know you can go anywhere you don't have to think about it whereas you might say, Rod, let's go into this pub around the corner from here. And I would have to think about whether that's a good idea. If it's full with a certain type of people or if it's kind of got a reputation as being, I would have to think that's not something I really should do. Um, whereas a straight, per- a straight white person, you can pretty much go anywhere or do anything. Um, in the workplace, you know, of course I'm out. Um And I guess when I meet someone for the first time in a meeting, are they looking at, what's the first thing they notice about me? Do they notice that I'm black? Or do they notice that I'm gay? Whereas if you were walking to a meeting, they probably would just notice that you've got light brown hair, you've got light brown hair, or you've got blue eyes. None of that other stuff would matter. I suppose if it was a guy, they might want to know what team you support. You know, that would be the (laughs) the depth of that. 
so that's that's kind of that. It's always something that you carry with you. A root um, of intellectual conversation. What Tim just support, mate? <laughs> uh, and, I, and and that's yeah, that's something you never understand. And I guess also um, just how hard it can be to be to be accepted. I think sometimes, um, and that's got a lot better. You know, I was raised in the seventies, um, and. And I think now, certainly for the younger generation coming up, it just isn't an issue, which is quite nice to see. Although I do worry. Um, Am I right in saying that it, it was illegal to to act out as gay in the seventies? Uh, no, it, the, the law was changed in nineteen sixty three. I think it is. Nineteen sixty three. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, as a result, of... it's still very raw. In yeah, the social, it is. Uh, yeah. It is. And and I I, I make no guys who are in their seventies um, and eighties now. They still, if they're out in the street, they'll still kind of act in a very secretive, kind of furtive way about their sexuality, and that's just an ingrained thing. Some of them, it's a very ingrained thing that they still don't feel open about being able to be opened about being gay because it all had to be kept you know a secret back in those days I've got some friends from the older generation who and I, it's very difficult to watch because you're free now you can you can be what you want to be although I am worried that it would appear I, I, and I don't not say this is related directly to Brexit but the far right seems to be taking over, and it seems that you know homophobic attacks are like are on the increase again, uh, again, yeah, yeah. and it feels like we're going backwards in some respects, yeah. and that's quite worrying for me. So, as a, as a country, um, we thought that we were liberated in that sense, and that we thought that we weren't racist as a country, and we thought that we weren't homophobic. We assumed that after the eighties and beyond that, that the nineties bred more equality, and from there we sort of grew. And we thought that, but things like all, all Brexit has done is pulled out, pulled um, it's like just revealed what was already there. And now suddenly the far right has a voice, which is important. It's important to have freedom of speech. It's really important to have freedom of speech mm-hmm. and you can't silence people with those things. But what it has done is made us realise that we aren't the country that is absolutely accepting of, of people from all over the world. We aren't the country that is accepting of of all all um, different sexualities and, and gender, um, uh, what's the word, um, representations and um, identification. And I hope that with time or over the next five to ten years that, that we we sort of come back into the middle again and we, we, we um, neutralise and... You know, people, there'll still be this flutter up and down and left and right and sort of stuff, but we'll be somewhere kind of good. And it's so, I, and actually yesterday I, I present on um, uh, radio, um, a local radio station, and we covered National Hate Crime Awareness Week, which is um, on the 12th of October. Oh, right. Okay. And so we covered that. And, and it is, even in such a small area, it's on the increased hate crime of all, all kinds. Um, so... I don't know. What can we do about it? What What, what do you think? That what sort of conversations do people need to be having to help redress that balance again? Yeah, I think it, I think it has been a little sad. Uh, I, I felt a bit sad about the fact that I felt, I was very proud of the fact that I lived in a country where I could be whoever I wanted to be. I can I could do whatever I wanted to do, particularly living in a city like London, and to see it going backwards. I sort of wonder now if maybe all of that liberalism and that acceptance and that openness was really quite fake and and as you've said we pulled the carpet back and really revealed underneath which was actually 
a lot of intolerance and a lot of hatred, a lot of bigotry. Yeah. But because it wasn't fashionable or acceptable, you know, to, 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 to express those views, now you have a voice if you really did feel like that. There's no way overnight all of these people have become racist and homophobic. They clearly were before, <laughs> yeah. but they just didn't feel that they could. It was, you know, some things are socially acceptable, things change. So, for example, in the 70s, I remember my uncle would drink and drive and it wasn't really seen as anything that awful, you know, and maybe and back in the 60s. Now, that's the most heinous thing that you can do, you know, along with buying a plastic carrier bag for 5p. Um, you know, it's become... Socially unacceptable, Tempe, sorry, well, I don't buy them anymore. So, um, it's become Good. socially unacceptable to do those sorts of things, you know, or to use mm. a straw. So because of that, I think the far right, yeah, has gained momentum and, and, and they do have a voice to bring it back. I, I, I'd, I'd like to have conversations around what was it about that time? So let's go from, say, the mid 80s until just, let's say, five years ago. Did... Were the was that was that were those agendas being rammed? Did you feel those agendas were being rammed down your throat too much? Did you feel that there was too much privilege associated with certain sectors of society? So you know, kind of positive affirmation or kind of you know this view that maybe somehow gays had it better than you know the LGBT community had it better than than you know straight white working class heterosexuals or or did you know people of color have it better than and and let's have that conversation as to your perception as to what you felt was going on. Obviously, you couldn't verbalise it, but let's talk about how how can we bring it back. And it's very sad because, on this, by the same token, um, this is still a great country to live in, and I would prefer to live here than anywhere in the world. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else, really, um, because of the freedoms that I have. Um, you know, as a as a black gay man, in certainly a lot of the countries I've been, I travel a lot, in my work, and I've travelled a lot personally. I don't feel as free as I do in the UK. Um, I don't feel as free. So, you know, if I go to America or across Europe or I just don't feel as free. I don't feel I would be, I would have the life that I have, the career that I have, the status that I have. In some of those other countries, I just don't believe that would happen. And that's my view. Okay. Um, so one of the most refreshing and most beautiful things that I see now regularly are, are people that, are practicing a homosexual relationship of any kind, holding hands and kissing in public, which I just think, as, as much as we've seen the, the like the these kind of resurgence of the far right, you are proudly walking down the street now in your gay relationship or in your marriage, and and I just think I just think that if you continue doing that and you keep stand stand proud, you know, tying in with like the you know Pride Britain and everything else, and stand proud and, and continue doing that, then People will have to accept it eventually. Laws will come into place. Legislation will come into place. Hate crime will get more and more serious. Hate incidents will become more and more serious and, and prosecutable. And so I, I, I really urge anyone that just keep pushing it. Like my, my partner's from uh, Uganda, right? And and so we're, we're in an interracial relationship. And how important it is for us to walk down the street holding hands and just acting normal because it is normal. Mm. Because we are just people and we are in love. And and I just I, for me like I just I think it's so refreshing that we, we we are in a liberated country and I just think we just need to continue as we were through you know the early early part of the two thousands and if we continue that then then eventually people will have to adapt and that generation is is I don't I'm not ageist I just want to discriminate mm-hmm. against any any kind of um, person at all but there is a certain age 
over a certain age that that would have those sorts of views or or like people like Nigel Farage who you know are within that kind of vicinity of that age that 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 are getting people like that on that side and and you know the more we don't let that deter us from what we're proud of the the less the less they can speak and the less they can they can influence um so just um just within that when you go on stage um what are the sort of ter- stereotypes that get commonly associated with you that you really hate? I really hate, yeah. I think one of the stereotypes that's associated is that I maybe perhaps um, take dick up my ass, <laughs> which is to go straight to the point. I think there's always that assumption. Did you work with that? that? Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Um, although I think I have to be hands up and say, you know, I'm I'm probably play up to a lot of stereotypes. You know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I've got a question so, about that. So I, yeah, I I always. Uh, try and look really nice on stage so I'm always sort of quite I wouldn't say camply dressed but overtly gay I would say you know wear a bow tie flowery jackets kind of you know my strap line is that um, I'm making the open mic circuit a more glamorous place (laughs) one gig at a time Um, (laughs) and I sort of stole that from an old friend of mine who does hair and he's he's got his strap line is very similar I stole it from him and just rejigged it but yeah so I, I, I am about going on stage and looking different and having a brand um a lot of comedians that i that are on the circuit will just go on stage and i and i think well actually there could be an agent in the audience i want to walk on stage and have a presence and have a stage presence so that's kind of my part my brand um the other thing is is that yeah i'm quite sort of um i'm quite gay i'll always have a bit of banter with the um with the promoter who are usually straight white male um and quite like watching them squirm or quite making them uncomfortable. So that's a little bit of a stereotype. Almost predatory. Um, I like the fact that I'm a gay man, but not... I, I make it quite obvious that I'm not passive, that I, I actually can be quite um, can be quite active and I would I would pursue someone if I wanted to, as opposed to being girly and kind of mincy. I'm not, I'm not that kind of a gay man at all. Almost kind of frightening in a way to some men, I guess. Um, and in terms of stereotypes, yeah, I'm not your typical black um, man, I guess. Um, the, some of the black community don't always get me, but they like that I can I can make jokes about it because it's my they're my mm. people. Um, I can make jokes about my time growing up in a small town, um, which is Slough, which was awful. <laughs> um, um, my di- my father's disappointment with me being gay and how he handled that at the time, um, and just going to you know. A good school, but with rubbish people in it, really, generally, it was just kind of some of the people at school were just terrible um, and terrible to me. Um, and I've sort of turned a lot of that stuff into comedy, and there's a lot of good material there. Um, yeah. So I, I met you um, last year at Healing Comedy Club, and Rudy Iliassi runs that. It's, it's moved, moved locations up. It's a great night. He's mm-hmm. a great promoter. I've seen your set, and one of the jokes that always, always gets a laugh, and a big laugh, is the when you tell a story um, during which you draw attention to the fact that you know your, your mannerisms that many may associate with homosexuality, you really draw attention to that your mannerisms there. Then flip it on his head, and then and then draw it, and then just say it's my red shoes that people notice first. And I really I really really like that. How much does um, your sexuality um, influence your material? Um, it does. It does influence my material quite a lot. Um, I think 
a friend of mine asked me a very interesting question. He said, which do you feel more? Do you feel black more or do you feel gay more? Did you feel more gay or more black? And I thought, that's a horrible question, an absolutely horrible question. Do I feel like a black person who happens to be gay or a gay person who happens to be black? Um, so I think, yeah, part a big part of my identity is that I'm a black gay man. They are, they're side by side. Yeah, they're side by side. And I think... I try to make my material about my life and my and my life, muddling through my life from early years in Slough, coming to London, making my fortune, various relationships, and now I'm married. Um, and kind of the hilarity that came with that. Uh, I've enjoyed, I enjoy that there's, yeah, a lot of material that comes out of that. Let's mm. just put it that way. <laughs> so one of the things that you must get quite often, or at least um, exploit if you can, because you should, because you absolutely should, is positive discrimination. What are your views on positive discrimination? Um, and do, is this in the context of the open mic circuit? Yeah, well, yeah, just in like the, in in the comedy world, there there is like a positive discrimination. There are certain nights that are just for LGBTQ plus right. etc. Right. Um, whilst I would set the scene with how I feel, whilst I think positive discrimination is needed to offset the balance, what are your views on it, and do you think it needs to progress and, and change? I don't think there's really a need for it. I think if someone wants to run an LGBT night, I think that's amazing. You know, Kyle does great work. I've performed at his place many a time. I worship Kyle. I think he's great. Um, But I wouldn't really see that as positive discrimination. I would see that as championing a certain element of the community. So, for example, I don't know of any nights which are for open mic that are geared towards maybe the BAME community. Um, But I think... As a promoter, on your billing, you should have a mixture. So I think there's nothing sadder than going to a night and it's just kind of white straight males, just one after the other, you know. Talking and about then, dicks. Yeah, and talking Tinder. about and Tinder yeah. and kind of wanking and yeah. And and then, you know, all of that's great. You know, I've done it too. And then there's me slotted in there, maybe a girl. I just, I would like to see a broader cross-section of people on the nights. Okay, it depends who applies and you can't help that. Um... But positive discrimination, I don't know whether that's something I would really... And also, you know, I've, I've had people come up to me after shows, other comedians, and they say, oh, that was really great, you did really well. But, you know, you're going to always do really well because, you know, you're black and gay. And like, oh, yeah, you're different. Yeah, you've got a USP. Well, actually, that's not fair. I don't think that's fair. I think I just happen to be black and gay, and yeah, I happen to be different. And I suppose if you're on a lineup with 12 other comedians and... 10 of them are white, straight males, probably talking about pretty much the same things or, or, or roundabout. Yeah, that probably, you probably have to work hard to build clearly what is your USP and what's your differentiator. Um, but to then, I think it's really lazy just to say, well, oh, everybody thinks you're funny because you're gay and black. That's not fair. I mean, I, there are, there are LGBT community, um, comedians out there who aren't funny and there are black comedians out there who aren't funny. It just so happens that I'm one of the ones who has both that have I have both those and I might make people laugh but um yeah I although I'm all for diversity and, and I must say sometimes it has been quite soul destroying when I've turned up on, on on a night and um it just isn't very diverse and there have been times when I haven't felt that I've fitted in so you know if we're in the green room waiting to go on or we're waiting to you know or waiting to for the show to start 
I sometimes don't have, not so often, but I sometimes don't have a lot to say to some of those guys. It just doesn't, it's, and they don't know what to say to me or they don't get me, um, which works, it's fine. Um, and certainly for female comics, I think we need to see more women, you know, um, out there on the circuit and doing their thing because they have a story to tell. And I think most female comics are hilarious um, because of the way that they the way that they experience things. I think the way they look at things is so much different. You know, they t- when, a, when a female comic tells jokes about dating, it, it's yeah. just, it, I just love it. I can't wait to hear stories about their dating. And a lot of my girlfriends, they tell me stories about the ones that are single that are dating. I mean, I could do a whole hour show on some of the stories <laughs> they told me on their dating stories. Yeah, I mean, it's just, on the toes yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, exactly. I mean, okay, so when you look at platforms like Open Comedy, and you look at, you know, if you were to do a sort of a, a survey of what's on there, there are genuinely more male comics on, on that website particularly. And I've done the check, I've mm. looked and I've asked them mm. about it, just, just out of curiosity. But I still don't think it's an excuse to not book a female or not book somebody from the LGBTQ plus um, group of people. And, uh, you know, there, there's no reason why... You, women are more funny than men in general they, they come from a better perspective for about 50 years men have been joking about the stereotypes that women have in the, the kitchen and all that sort of stuff and in the relationship looking after children and now it's just like no this is all wrong you're all pricks and this is the, this is the truth now no your, your dick isn't big and it isn't good you're not good at sex you're nowhere near as good as you are you know and, and it's amazing that they're calling this shit out and I think the more that's done the more this world would be a better place yes. <laughs> um, and so it's not an excuse just because there, there may be in statistically less women in, in, in the business it's, it's because of social attitudes that there aren't and if if the if, if if the social attitudes change and 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 it becomes widespread and that stigma is broken down and shattered, then you will see more and the balance will be redressed and and that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah. So promoters book diversely. Um, yeah, I guess really it's, I guess it's who applies to them as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and while we talk about promoters, I I have quite a few promoters that I work with. I love that I've got good relationships with them and building up relationships with your promoters um, is really, really important. And if they like you, that again is really important because they know what they're getting and you know that that's going to be a good room. It's going to be well run, well organised, you know, all of that. They've got a good MC to warm the crowd up. That's another thing that I found um, is really important is to get the MC to warm the room up and get the right person doing that. and I, I don't know if it's the right platform, but I think my only bugbear about my community in the 18 months I've been doing it um, is when you have we have a, we have a night that maybe it's not a bringer, um, and you get a you get a comedian that will do their set and then just go home, you know, particularly if they're in the first half. I, I I'm starting to have a real problem with that, particularly if you're in the second half. You know, you've you've been polite enough to sit and watch them. They do their set and go home, and then you're left with a depleted room because they might take their bringer with them or what have you. Um, I've been to gigs recently, and literally half the room has gone after the first half because they're all the uh, systematically comics have had their five minutes, picked their bag up, and literally walked out. Um, and I think that's really unfair. I think it's disrespectful and it's not supportive you know we are there to bounce it's particularly if it's a new material night we're there to bounce stuff off each other you know 
And if you just get up, do, you know, do your set and then get your bag and go home, there might be reasons why you might have another gig to go to, or there could be a, there could be reasons, but you know, I, it's very prolific and it's becoming, yeah, it's becoming, it's starting to irk me. Um, okay. that's, that's the only yeah. thing I can say that's a button that maybe don't push because I just think it's I just think it's wrong you pushed it yourself Rod I have <laughs> and I just had to have a platform to say it's like, which I've got now <laughs> the next 15 minutes of this podcast sorry, is going to be bitter sorry, and sour sorry, no, um, not at all can we get this white guy some uh, lemons please and um, so you mentioned that you wanted to do Edinburgh yes um, so you didn't go this year but you, are you writing a show now to go next year I am I am. Um, I've it's. I've got a working title, and I've got the theme of the show, which is basically just really around, really around my set, a development of my set. So, small boy from a small town, um, and a, a lot around the sense of shame that I felt yeah. about being gay. My mother wasn't happy about it, um, and she. Uh, well, neither of my parents were happy about it. We lived in a small town. There was a sense of embarrassment, so I left there when I was 18 and moved to London and then that's when the story really started but I think the show um, at the moment is looking likely that it will tell the story of my life so far and then kind of all the sort of things that have happened to me in between but the balance of that is getting is making that funny and making yeah, and getting, uh, getting an hour's worth of gags I saw loads of shows in Edinburgh this year and um, yeah I don't know whether I can intersperse kind of elements of acting, which I think some of the shows were, which I think you probably need to do for an hour, which is why I'm thinking maybe I might split a room and do 30 minutes. And I would love to do 30 minutes of just gags. That would be amazing um, if I could. Um, I've got a title for the show. I've even thought about the flyer. So it's all going to, it's going to happen. I just need to find someone to share the room with or make that decision to do an hour long show on my own, which is fairly scary. Um, But when I was up there, you know, a couple of months ago, there were so many people I knew from the circuit up there doing it. And, you know, they, if they got the kahanas, then I just need to person up and do it. Um, yeah, there's, there's also, don't forget, there's a load of sort of fringes that run up to Edinburgh. Yeah. So you have loads of opportunities to, to you know, to try out that yeah. beforehand. I mean, yeah. Cambridge, Cambridge Fringe has one um, mm. around May time. Oh. Um, which is next year, so I, I can send you the details oh, for those good. people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you know, Leicester's the first one, I think it's in February mm-hmm. of the year, yes. and you start previewing the show as you go. So there, there are so many opportunities to, to, by the time you get to Edinburgh, you'll have honed every bit of it. Oh, you'll have changed the, mm-hmm. the whole, probably the whole the whole set by right. the time you get there. So just make sure that you remember that the build-up to it is also all about that. And anyway, so some people go up there and just just take the show written and then go for it. But so many promoters give you the opportunity beforehand to preview right. bits and, and that sort of stuff. So. I, I found, I mean, I, I was angry with myself when I was there that I hadn't been to Edinburgh before, even before I'd started comedy. But to be in that city, just immersed in in the art of comedy and theatre was absolutely amazing. It just, I've never seen anything like it. I just couldn't get enough of it. And sadly, I was only there for four days this year. Um but I could imagine doing a whole month that they would be fairly brutal. Um, yeah. And, and particularly, you know, I went to some rooms and there were four people in the room and that must be difficult when you, you know, you're there to do a show once a day for an hour and there were four people in the room. That must be hard. But that's your art, isn't it? Um, you know, it, it was, but it was just a, a phenomenal thing to do. I loved it. Okay. So that's, that's the first thing you went up there, was it? Yeah. Okay. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So, so what about in London then? Um, what's your... What's your next plan with like building material? Then would you would you want 
sort of go here you got any angles or, re- or avenues you want to go down that you haven't touched on yet no I'm going to develop on I'm going to develop where, where I am so um, I'm married now and I wonder if I need to develop more you know about the whole thing about being married so for example I hmm. get asked a lot if you know why we haven't got kids and you know I've, I've written a few gags around why gays shouldn't have kids okay um, which um, is, is quite interesting Um and for a moment, we did think we would have children. We thought about it. And then um, we, yeah, I converted, went so far as to convert the loft um, uh, in our house. So we'd have extra room for the adoption. But I've made it into a dressing room now. It's got all my shoes and clothes in it. So <laughs> <laughs> I decided not to have kids after that. I thought, this is really nice. And I think bunk beds would spoil it. So um, <laughs> I've got closets of shoes and bags and clothes up there now. So yeah, probably having kids wasn't really for me. If I'm that easily swayed. <laughs> <laughs> they say they say that, um, I had something recently, that they being in a relationship or getting married makes you realise that you're selfish and then children make you act on it and I just don't know if, if you're ready to for that realisation to give up um, the selfishness that you should it's, have it's true I mean we've, we've been agonising about getting a dog we've been together for nearly 20 years and we don't share anything together but other than the home and I thought maybe... Start we, with a plant. Well, well, I kill those. So, yeah, it's not <laughs> a great start. That's why I don't have any plants. I gave up buying them about 10 years ago because they just died. Um, and we thought, well, we, we really want a dog. We both, we pick the dog. We, want, we know what dog we want. But then we're out in a bar and we should be going home at nine because the dog needs feeding. And I'm going to think, I don't want to be... I, the reason I'm a gay man is that I can stay up till three in the morning. <laughs> Sucking random dick. And coming home when I want to on my knees, you know. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, I've got to go home because I need to go and feed the dog. And I think that would be, I don't know whether I'm ready for that yet. But I think, yeah, we will get a dog. But if we can't commit to a dog, yeah, maybe children isn't going to be for us, really. Um, yeah. I tried to help the, uh, a lady on the bus uh, uh, last year. Her little daughter wanted to watch Pet Pig. And she said, no, I haven't got enough data. And I gave her my phone. And I was like, oh, I've got this. I can do children. And then, you know, clicked on YouTube and then picked Peppa Pig. But there's an adult version. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, I think it was after the third fuck and the third C word, I realised that, yeah, I picked the wrong one. And the whole bus was staring at me. It's a very it's a very funny gag. I've developed that gag. It's hilarious. <laughs> as, to why gay men, <laughs> as to why gay men can't have, shouldn't have children. <laughs> okay. Okay. Is that, is, what, what the fuck are your cookies like when you're... Um, your laptop, I, d- I don't know. Um, nothing to do with being gay, though. It's, uh, <laughs> it's just your warped brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so how, how long have you been married, then? When, when did you do that? We got married... So we've been married for 12 years, and okay. in February will be 20 years that we've been together. So, um, yeah, marriage is hard. Um, although it's lovely, it's hard. It's hard work. Um, I always say I've got two jobs. One I get paid for, and the other is my marriage. Um, it's Yeah, it's hard work. You have to work at it a lot. And the minute you stop working at it, I think, is the minute it can really go wrong. You have to always work at your marriage and work at being a good partner mm. to your spouse. And um, that's really important. What, is, what does your husband think about your comedy? He loves it. He's very proud of it. He comes to pretty much all of my gigs, although... When I first started out, he was there every single one and he was my bringer and he sort of said a few months ago, can you start finding other bringers because I'm really tired. So, And and everyone said this would happen. So um, he will come 
maybe two out of the month, you know, um, but not every week. But loves it. And when he's there, he videos my gig and he sort of will critique me and say, yeah, that was really good or, you know, that didn't work. Um, because he's in the audience, so of course he's not, you know, he's, he's with them enjoying the experience. So his opinion is invaluable. Um, okay. uh, has, he, has he told you to say this? Because it sounds very much like that you, you're, you're just playing up to an <laughs> argument that you might have had recently. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. No, no, not at all. I'm no. sorry, babe. I just need to make this uh, caveat right here on, on No, not at all. He's very, very supportive of me. Um, although he said to me the other day, like, where's it going? I said, well, it's only been 18 months. You know, don't be too tough on me. He said, well, you know, you need to make a decision. Are you going to do this professionally? Or I said, that is not something I'm ready to make a decision on at the moment. I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if I'm good enough for that. Um, and secondly, I just want to enjoy it. And I think the minute that I, the minute I make that decision, if I ever would to make that decision that I'm going to do this professionally, um, I think it might change how I feel about it. It's my hobby now. It's part of me. It keeps me sane. Um, you know, I see it like exercise. It's something that I do to really stress and keep me happy and keep me healthy. Comedy is really part is part of who I am. Um, and I think, yeah, I think he sort of thought, well, you know, you're going out and doing all these gigs, and where's it going? We're not getting paid. And, well, I got paid once, so yeah, um, <laughs> I got paid ten pounds, which is because I headlined back in the summer last year, um, and then I spent fourteen pounds on a frame to put it in. Okay. Are you, are nice. I framed the ten pound note. Yeah. So. Did you claim the four pounds back from the tax man? <laughs> I, I should have done. <laughs> Expenses. Um, oh, so you still got the ten pounds? I have. It's framed in a press. It's framed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so that was the first paid gig. Yes. Okay. I, I always said the first time I get paid to do comedy, I'd frame the frame whatever I was paid. Yeah, and it was ten quid. It was part of the bucket. So hopefully, very hopefully happy. not the last. So. No, well, nothing since, but hopefully, yeah. <laughs> but you've been heard learning shows and stuff, so that's something that yeah, goes on my CV. It does, yeah. I'm really, and I enjoy it, and I, I feel like I've outgrown um, five minute spots oh, because good. I'm a storyteller. I, I, I'm sort of getting into the flow, and then I have to get off. So you know, I like to do sevens or tens, and then if I'm doing a ten, that would normally mean I'm headlining. So yeah, yeah and it's nice to be asked, actually. Um, it's, it's interesting because um, we, outside of London, we try not to give five minute spots. We try and get everyone to start on tens. If someone's absolutely new, then obviously five minutes are probably more suitable. But it's um, it's quite it can be quite difficult to progress from. There's a big difference between five minutes and ten minutes. In terms of padding out material Definitely. and stuff, and it's not necessarily. It's good to have a solid five minutes because it makes you refine it down to just five minutes. Mm-hmm. But like you say, like you know, in a five-minute set, you can only really get across one real concept and center everything around that concept. Mm-hmm. So it's good to get out of that. Or I end up just going over. Yeah, I go over, which isn't fair on everybody else, really. Um, and sometimes I go on stage and I kind of know I'm going to be over by a minute and a half or something, so, oh. which isn't good. Um, Don't but say I just, that. <laughs> do listen to this. I know they do. But yeah, I'll, I, I, or I'll tell them, I'll say, look, I might be a little bit over just so that you're aware. Um, but yeah. I'll buy a drink. So yeah, 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 and they cut for it. And yeah, I, I always work well with my promoters. I always try and make sure that, I, that they're happy um, because... Um, yes, that's important, really. Um, and, you know, there are some that I work with more than others, and yeah. I love it. Yeah. So where where can people find out about you? Where, where can people follow you and all that sort of stuff? The usual. I'm on Instagram um, and I'm on Facebook. Um, I had. Um, what's your what's your what were your handles? Oh, uh, Rod Richardson. Yeah. Rod Richardson. So, yeah, Rod Richardson. Oh, so there's yeah. no one else who took that. No, no, there one. was a jazz player, a jazz. Yeah, he's a, a trumpet player, I think, in New Orleans. 
he was about 80. He was called Rod Richardson. I used to get movies with him, but he died a couple of years ago. So <laughs> I'm winning. Like we, we've been trying to get this podcast done since I met you. But no, it's been great to get you on the podcast, mate. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's been amazing. Yeah. Thank good. you. Well, enjoy your partner's birthday today. I'm sure thank it's you. going to be a good one. Thank you. Hello, I'm Luke Anthony. Do you love hearing about the stars, careers, lives and mental health? Well, Meet the Stars is a brand new podcast all about that. Join me every week from Wednesday the 2nd of December for an excellent conversation with a different star each episode. Simply go over to members.starevents.online to become a member, which gives you exclusive access to every episode and so many other brilliant features just for you. See you there.